0: Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the jude 3 project podcast before we get into today's episode i'm so excited because courageous conversations is back We weren't able to have it last year because of COVID, but this year it is back with a vengeance. We are so excited for the seven amazing topics we have. Christianity and white supremacy, rediscovering early African Christianity, black religions and the next generation, slavery in the Bible, politics in the pulpit, truth and trauma, patriarchy in the church. We are squeezing a lot of courageous conversations this year. In Washington, D.C., September 3rd and 4th at National Community Church. Listen, you don't want to miss it. Register today at CourageousConvos.org. Now, this is a hybrid conference. We have 250 in-person tickets available, and they are on the way to selling out. Um, So the next option would be the virtual pass. All of that is available at CourageousConvos.org. Or, I'm so excited about it. We have amazing panelists. We have Dr. Christina Edmondson, Dr. Howard John Wesley, Dr. Esau McCauley, Dr. Eric Mason, Dr. Leah Bowens, Dr. Otis Moss, Dr. Marvin McMickle, Dr. Vince Bantu, Dr. Jo- Jacqueline Rivers, Dr. Cheryl Sanders. It's going to be amazing. I would not miss it, whether in person or virtually. So get your tickets today at CourageousConvos.org. Without further ado, Let's get into today's episode. Hello, welcome to the Jew3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew3 Project. Well, thank you for watching another episode of the G 3 Project podcast. As always, I'm your host, Elisa Fields, the founder of the G 3 Project. And today I'm joined with someone who's no stranger to the G 3 Project. He's been on here several times back when we were uh, just uh, with the, with the, I, uh, I, not, not iPhone, what is the laptop camera? And it was distorted on my end. So <laughs> good to have uh, Pastor Jerome Gay with us. Welcome.
1: Thank you so much, Lisa. I'm grateful to be on. And and again, I am encouraged by the upgrade and how God has just continued to expand your ministry. So uh, congratulations and kudos to you.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much uh, to you and Vision Church who've also been supporters of Jude 3, both in prayer and financially. So I appreciate appreciate y'all. For for those who don't know who who you are, just tell our audience a little bit about, about
1: yourself. Absolutely. First and foremost, I am a son of Yeshua. That's my most important title because it's one I did not earn. I am a husband to Crystal Gay, uh, soon to be 20 years of marriage. I am a father to Jamari and Jordan, uh, my daughter and my son, and I'm the pastor of Vision Church, and I am the founder and president of The Urban Perspective, and uh, by God's grace, an author of two books, uh, Renewal, Grace and Redemption in the Story of Ruth, and then my second book, uh, The Whitewashing of Christianity. A hidden past, a hurtful present, and a hopeful future. So that's just a little bit about me originally from Southeast Washington, DC. Uh, but I pastor in Raleigh, North Carolina, and it's a great honor to serve.
0: Awesome. Thank you for having me. Have thank you for joining us. Uh, yeah. I have the book here as well. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, 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 Thank yeah, you.
0: Uh, people to to get this. Um yeah. we're gonna talk about uh your book today, The Whitewashing of Christianity, which I think is a great title, captivating title. Uh, what is whitewashing?
1: Yes, um, and thank you for asking that. I am very intentional about defining terms uh, if when someone reads the book. So whitewashing refers to the affinity of white Christian uh, scholars to paint the Bible, uh, Christian literature, art, and history with white people at the expense of authentic diversity and authentic ethnicity to uh, cater to white audiences that share their presuppositions and concerns. And so what I wanna do in the book is unpack the process of, of whitewashing, what it is, which I just said, and then how it has impacted Christianity in the West. And so that's why I put the subtitle. I know some people are gonna hear whitewashing. And let me be clear, whitewashing, confronting whitewashing isn't white bashing. Uh, it's not that type of book. So that's why I had the subtitle, which is a hidden past. I wanna unpack uh, African's uh, contribution to the Christian faith, which are ignored and said accentuated a hurtful present, how some people have internalized whitewashing and, and went to the, in the direction of self-hatred. Also, some responses like liberation theology, I explained that. But then there's this hopeful future that despite centuries of whitewashing, we still have hope uh, in Yeshua, and our, our Lord and Savior uh, Christ, who paid the price for our sin. And so that I, I, I walk people through that journey of what whitewashing is, the process of it, and then the effects it has on the Christian faith.
0: Now, when when you talk about whitewashing in your book, you have some some different categories of whitewashing, um, historical whitewashing, um, class whitewashing. Why why was it important for you to make those those distinctions there for? for the
1: yeah, because I, I want I want people, you know, right now, you know, Lisa, there are tons of talks about CRT, critical race theory. Mm-hmm. And, and oftentimes just by mentioning race or if you say the term whiteness or white supremacy or if you say something like that people automatically throw you into this category without actually hearing your claims or even understanding your position. And so what I wanted to do is say, hey, here's an historical perspective. So there's historic whitewashing where essentially you paint uh, Middle Eastern and African people white and then present them as historical figures. But then there's this class whitewashing where, and I I walk people through just the history of how we went from class to race, where we kind of went from Economic oppression to a racialized oppression, and so I want people to be able to chronicle how we got to this point, so that they know, you know, where I'm coming from. So I thought it was important to include those distinctions.
0: Mm-hmm. That's helpful. Um, I meant to ask you this is the first question, but I think it's it's uh, it's still relevant. What what motivated you to to write this book? What what was like, man? I need to write this. What what were those kind of events that that took place that motivated you to do this?
1: Yeah, certainly. Um, you know, uh, I, I uh, so we got like a video promoting the book. And one of the things I say is, you know, I've had countless conversations of people who think Christianity is a religion that promotes chattel slavery. It's a religion of oppression and that it's a white man's religion. And so while as a, as a Christian, uh, which again, is a title I did not earn, um, I'm saved by grace and through faith, not by my own works. I know that's not true, but there are tons of people who believe that that's true and we have to ask why. Why do they think, why do they associate Christianity with oppression? Well, because of the mishandling of Ephesians 6, the eisegesis of white supremacists historically, but even how how evangelicals handle it now, they don't handle the the idea that there are different forms of slavery. Why do people think it's a white man's religion? Well, because of whitewashing. We present Jesus, the disciples, uh, African Christian fathers, philosophers, and female Christian martyrs. We present them as white. And so people see Christianity as this monolithic faith. Again, those of us on the inside know that's not true, but why? They're not just pulling this out of the air. And so what I wanted to do is two things. Uh, number one, I wanted to evangelize. This as an evangelistic work where I'm, I'm praying that God will draw people to himself through this, through this piece of literature. But then the other side is I wanted to give legitimacy to their concerns, because whitewashing is something that we have to admit. We have to admit that this is a historical occurrence, it's a current occur- occurrence that must be addressed. So I wanted to give legitimacy to their concerns, but I wanted to confront their conclusion, because the conclusion for the people that believe that it's a religion of oppression, that it promotes chattel slavery, that it's a white man's religion, their conclusion is to reject Christ. And that that's an eternal decision, obviously, as a believer that they're making based off erroneous information that has pr- been presented as fact for centuries so i wanted to say hey i understand your concerns but let's not blame christ for the actions of people who claim to be christians there's a huge difference and i wanted to just minister to that group and then educate those that are on the inside that, that that are unaware of why this topic must be broached
0: mm-hmm. i think that's that's so helpful and needed uh, for our day um in your book you you uh, talk about reform theology versus reform culture. Uh-uh. Uh, why was that <laughs> <laughs> important for you to include and kind of what was the the thesis of, of that chapter?
1: Yeah, so you know I I when I when I go there in, in uh chapter five uh I want to say hey I agree with most of the tenets of reform theology. Um but I wanted to respond to something Dr. John Frame wrote in his his humongous ethics books that's over a 1,000 pages that I read while I was a seminarian. And, and let me just say this. I don't believe that Dr. Frame is, is a racist, OK? I, I don't believe that. I think some of his comments were uh, probably in, they were insensitive, and he maybe he wasn't aware of that. But in his book, he says he gives reasons for why African-Americans aren't engaged in, uh, engage in reform theology. And the first reason he says is because the intellectual nature of the Reformed tradition, and so I'm like, 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 man, that that comes across as if you're saying that we're unintellectual or that we're unintelligent, and I'm like, no, the the issue isn't the philosophical nature, the theological of richness that that's not the issue. The issue is the culture where when we study the reformed uh, reformed uh, heroes, we look at Dabney who who made some heinous racist remarks, and um, when we look at some of these people, and we look at even now how Reform theology is presented as if it's the gospel. And one of my quotes is listen, reform theology it is great, but the gospel doesn't need reform. We do. And so if we need reform, we need to be careful of presenting our culture as a way of doing everything when it comes to hermeneutics and homiletics and and even singing and styles of preaching, as if uh European reform, those that embrace that have presented as if this is the only way to do things. And so I wanted to confront that to say, hey, there, there's another way to look at this. Rather than assuming that ethnic minorities are unintelligent or have a have issue with the theology itself, perhaps you need to look in the mirror and look at the culture and how things are presented to other people. And that's what I wanted to address in that chapter.
0: Yeah. And that's helpful. And I think necessary because there is this presupposition that that black people aren't intellectually savvy or or astute. And it's just like, hey, you you realize there are a lot of things we invented that were stolen from us. um, Absolutely.
1: Absolutely.
0: (laughs) That were were recreated, that we we created first. So it's not that we um, are not intellectually savvy. It's often that our our people don't get the shine that majority culture Culture does, and so I, I'm glad you you gave you shared that point. Um, in addition, um, in your book, you you talk about hidden figures, and um, that goes into obviously early African Christianity, but also I think it's cool that you have merch that highlights the, the uh and color corrects the whitewashing mm-hmm. of early African Christians. Um, how has that the whitewashing of the hidden figures affected the face and how have you seen uh making kind of the 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 uh the characters in in the way they were in 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 darker skin um how has that helped people see see it differently
1: yeah. And so, so so one of the things I do say in the book, and, and you know, I want people to hear me say this as the author, is um I'm I am not saying that the answer to whitewashing is blackwashing. Um so that that's not what this book is. However, I do think it's important that we color correct because for instance, we don't have these brown images of John Calvin, these brown images of Martin Luther. Uh, but when we talk about Tertullian, who Was African, he's presented as a white man. Perpetua and Felicity, two African female martyrs, they're presented as white women. Athanasius, an African man who stood for orthodoxy at the Council of Nicaea, he's presented as a, a white man. Origin, uh, African philosopher, he's presented as a white man. Chino of a treat. We don't often don't even know who this man is. Lactantius, Cyprian. These are all African, African people and you know typically when we look at the just the markers of geography we tend to associate them with black and brown people but what historians have done is they've made northern africa southern europe and they've presented people in this way and so the effects of this is people look at it and say well well wow it it looks like functionally that only white people contributed to philosophy and theology, whereas no Tertunian gave us the concept of the Trinity. And this is an African man, you know, you know, at the, at, we have the Nicene Creed where we say he's begotten and not made because of, because Athanasius, an African man stood up, stood up to Arius and his, uh, his, his heresy, um, the, the Aryan heresy. And so, so, so it's so important that we understand this. And so people are looking at all of this white imagery in our movies, in our textbooks, in our seminary books, in uh, children's curriculum, in, ch- in children's church curriculum. Like everything is painted white. And then rather than saying, hey, you, you know, we should ignore this. We're like, well, well no, why, why shouldn't we confront this revisionist history? Why shouldn't we confront that you presenting Christianity in a monolithic way culturally? this needs to be confronted because people are on the outside, we should care about lostness. We should care. We don't cater to non-believers, but we engage them. We deconstruct the things that are eclipsing the gospel in their minds and in their hearts so that we can present the unadulterated gospel to them. And so whitewashing gets in the way of that. And so we wanted to do that. So I had original artwork done uh, by a wonderful sister named Melissa uh, Campbell who who created original artwork uh, for me in the book. And uh, we also, you mentioned the merch, and so my wife has a clothing company, I Am Apparel, where we just, we're celebrating just the African heritage, heritage within Christianity. That doesn't mean we demean what our European brothers who stood for orthodoxy have done. We're just saying that there isn't much attention given to the African contribution, and they've been presented as white men and women, and we need to color correct that because we should care about truth, we should care about accurate history, and we should celebrate the rich diversity That Christ has used all people because we based on acts, we all share one common ancestry, but we are presented in different hues and that should be reflected accurately. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, that's definitely helpful and definitely needed. Um, We we think about some of the responses to whitewashing. One of those is the liberation. What have you seen that have been helpful from that? And what have you seen that have been challenging from from that?
1: Yeah, so yeah, I, uh, so I have, you know, three responses. So one is uh, liberation. So I, I walk through the history of liberation theology. And so, you know, i start with some people before we get to Cone, we need to kind of look at Nat Turner, we need to look at Albert Cleage. We, we need to look at Howard Thurman, we need to look at Dr. King, we need to look at Medica Evers, we need to we need to look at this train of thought of liberation as a response, not simply to whitewashing, but also to white supremacy. And so when we get to Cone, I want people to understand the the context in which he wrote what he did doesn't mean I embrace all of it. Uh, there's a section where I say correcting Cone. I think what we can appreciate about liberation theology is that they it was a response wanting to affirm the Imago day in people of color, that we're made in God's image. We're worthy of dignity and respect. And while Cone didn't say it this way, uh, uh, an essence of most of his writing is that value and dignity starts at creation not salvation and so he wanted to restore that dignity because he's in a context where during his time again not painting all white people this way but during his time white people would have a lynching after a church service after a church service they would celebrate the killing of a black person and there would be children you know applauding this and so this is the context that he's in and he's writing a lot of this stuff, so he writes black theology and black power, but because of the lynchings that he witnessed and he would hear about and he would see the tears of people, he wrote the cross and the lynching tree. And he showed this merger of how, you know, they wanted to associate Christianity with whiteness. I also addressed the history of that and how just the, the the missionary groups were intentional about only using white imagery because they, they even said they wanted to associate Christianity with whiteness and white with purity. And so he's in that context. Uh, the, the only the pushback I give, you know, Dr. Cone, who, again, I appreciate certain aspects of his contribution, is that every a lot of it is relying on blackness within itself. And so there's a section that I have called uh, Correcting Cone and saying that, you know, we got to be careful, biblically speaking. Philippians three twenty, our citizenship is in heaven. So we live from that kingdom perspective. So while, again, there's a lot I affirm. But there, there are some aspects of orthodoxy that I have to push back on because we can't make a feature of who we are the foundation of who we are. The foundation of our identity is our creator, not our race or our ethnicity. And so I think that's that's where I say, listen, I appreciate him bringing bringing clarity, confronting white supremacy, bringing writing some rich theological positions. But from the foundation, it must be the gospel. And that's that's what I wanted to come back to
0: yeah I, I love that you say is uh don't confuse the the feature and the foundation uh, yeah. that's a great way to alliterate that um for for our audience who listening and run across people that are constantly saying christianity is white man's religion mm-hmm. and they get frustrated in the conversation um what tools would you give them and what what ways have you found helpful just to have a conversation with someone um that helps kind of break through
1: yeah, so oftentimes, um, and, and hopefully this equips people apologetically, apologetics being a defense of the faith, is, you know, asking questions. So so oftentimes they say, you know, if they say it's a white man's religion. Then they say if it wasn't for slavery, we wouldn't have known Jesus. And so when they say that, usually I'm asking some questions. I say, so, so let me ask you this. You know, do have you heard of, are you familiar with African Christianity prior to the transatlantic slave trade? And So I want to tell them about the Coptic Church. I want to tell them about Christianity in Ethiopia. I want to tell them about the Kushites in the Bible. Since because now they're they're critiquing Christianity. Now I can bring out the word. I can defend my faith without the Bible, but ultimately I want to get them to the scriptures. Um, so I want them to know about the Kushites, I want them to know about Christianity in Nubia, and then the Hidden Heroes chapter will help you because you can basically you can use this like a reference book. You want to know about liberation, there's a chapter on that, you want to know about urban apologetics, there's a chapter on that, you want to know about some. African Christianity, there's a chapter called Whitewash in Africa. You want to know about uh, some some key African figures. There's a chapter on that. And so then I want to take them to, you know, to Athanasius, Perpetua and Felicity, Origen. Now, don't, we don't embrace everything Origen did, but he did, he give us some, you know, some huge comp- contributions to the Christian faith. And then I want to ask them like, these men and women are our African ancestors. Why do you want to ignore them? How come you only want to give credence to the ancestors that fit your ideology? And so now they have to they have to wrestle with something like so. So so essentially, you're saying that our ancestors were stupid, that they couldn't tell the difference between biblical Christianity and white supremacy. Why are you ignoring these African theologians and martyrs? And then last thing I want to ask, you know, you're talking about. That's again, Athanasius, well known. 325, he stood at the Council of Nicaea. Well, that's over a thousand years before the transatlantic slave trade of 1619. So now they got to wrestle with timelines. Like, I'm just, I'm just giving you history. We, we, we don't even have to go to the Bible yet. Your timeline doesn't add up. And then I want to bring them here ultimately to get to the gospel. And I'm going to say this what white supremacy did during chattel slavery, they did not try to beat Christianity into us and our ancestors. They unsuccessfully attempted to beat inferiority, and they and they isogeded the Bible to do so. They looked at Genesis six and they tried to Genesis six through nine, and they wanted to take the curse of Ham, and they wanted to say that that applied to black and other ethnic minorities. And they wanted to say, based on their eisegesis of Scripture, that you're devalued, that you don't have any value. They wanted to ju- use that to justify degrading us. And then I asked them, why would they create a slave Bible that took out the book of Exodus? Because they knew they see freedom. They see God coming to save his oppressed people. And so w- w- when they see that, I say, there's a difference. When you read the slave narratives, they knew the difference when they were able to read. Frederick Douglass knew the difference. He writes between the Christianity of this land and authentic Christianity. Why, why, Why would you ignore them? And so I say there's a difference. They wanted to beat inferiority. They wanted to tell us that we didn't have value, but they were unsuccessful because we had a Grandma Moses by the name of Harriet Tubman. We had a Frederick Douglass. We we had a Marcus Garvey who writes about the resurrection. We, we, we have a Francis Grimke. We have, again, the early African Christian fathers and mothers. And so I want them to go there like they wanted to devalue us. But you know who always valued us? Yeshua because our value begins at creation. And then that's an opportunity to present the reason for the hope that lies within me. And I'm able to share the gospel. And so I'm hoping this book is a tool ultimately for those that disagree with our faith, that it, it, it allows a, a opportunities for us to present the gospel to them.
0: That's that's helpful. Um, one of the things that can become challenging is because when you're engaging Hebrew Israelites, when you're hmm. engaging some people in the conscious community, their hostility, um, yeah creates this hostility sometimes in us to go tit for tat. And so yeah. they hurl insults and then we hurl insults back or they use catchy, shady things yeah. in their in their taglines on YouTube. Yeah. So we we do that back. Um how do we how do we strike that balance between having a conviction, um sharing our faith with conviction, but not being pulled into the gutter uh with with some of the folks that that try to take
1: us there yeah great question lisa i i I say two things we can disagree without being disrespectful we can also disagree and we don't have to disengage and so uh i tell my church, i'm a pastor so i tell my church this i say the time to be christ-like is when you don't want to (laughs) be let me say that one more time (laughs) the time to be christ-like is when you don't want to be and when someone is disrespecting you like, I, I, you know, I know I've, I've already got a little bit of it. You know, um, you know, people calling me a critical race theory without even reading the book, literally judging a book by its cover. And uh, one of the things I wanted to do is I put discussion questions because I'm hoping for dissent groups, people who disagree to have discussion. So I, I think there's a way, you know, Jesus tells us, you know, when they hate you, remember that they hated me first. So I think we, we have to learn that, you know, people are gonna be hostile, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, kindness, uh, you know, self-control. The ninth one, actually, self-control. And so i we got to pray that we exhibit that self-control in how we engage and what we say. And we need to be willing to apologize if even if the content of what we're saying is true, but how we said it, how we may say things may not be loving. And that, that applies to me as well. So that's, that's just a constant prayer as the book gets out. I, 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 you know, I engage criticism and that sort of thing. And so I think that's what we got to come back to is the, and you, and you mentioned it first Peter three 15, it says, give a reason for the hope that lies within you, but then it tells you how to do it gentleness and respect. And so we need to ask ourselves before we hit sin <laughs> and you, you, uh, you lovingly or, or unlovingly engage someone typing in the comments or whatever, you know, is this, is this gentle, is disrespectful and, and i think the bible has given us the filter that we need to watch what we say and how we say it but we also have that holy spirit when we mess up so that we can apologize for not apologizing for truth with the scriptures but maybe how we, we we can present uh things the wrong way the way i say it is this way i tell my church this we can confront sin sinfully and, and and so we got to be we have to realize that we can still in confronting sin, we can handle it sinfully. And so we got to just constantly ask that prayer of David, like search me and just know my anxious thoughts, Lord. And and let me be quick to apologize when I blow it because we need grace as well. So I think that's that's something I, I want to remind myself of, especially as this gets out and I I encounter criticism, which I'm sure I will. I'm not above it, uh, but just making sure we have that disposition. Yeah, and I think that's helpful.
0: and And I love that you said like you could you could be gracious and not disengage, because yeah. oftentimes, you know, when I make comments about gentleness and respect, people think I'm calling for for disengagement. It's just like, no, I'm just calling for <laughs> us to to be <clears throat> empathetic in how we engage people, so we don't ha- continue further harm them. So I'm not yeah. saying don't engage them, but just right how you do. Exactly. So I'm, I'm glad you you. You highlighted that as well is there anything else about the book that you think our audience should know that we haven't discussed um before we before we leave here
1: yeah so uh you know i I talk about three responses to whitewashing so there's liberation and then i address hey here's where we have to kind of part ways with liberation theology there's self-hatred and that's going to be a controversial chapter because it's called the making of a coon but but i'm i'm (laughs) dealing with but. Kuhn is an acrostic uh, contributing to ongoing oppression through negligence. And I'm not calling people like, hey, this guy's a coon." this woman. That, that's not my heart. I'm, I'm letting people see. And I use a historical figure, Leo Africanus, who was taken from his native land and then told everything wrong with him and people of color. And then he writes one of the most scathing pieces of literature against uh, people of color as a person of color. And so I, I want people to know. Just the danger of internalizing racism, and how that causes self hatred. But then I end with uh, the third response, which is urban apologetics. In this chapter, I'm I'm engaging some common objections. So, if you want to know how to approach the whole, you know, Horus, Jesus is a common carbon copy of Horus. Uh, you have that in this book. One of the things I say is Christians, and this is in the book, we must stop giving faith based answers. To fact-based questions. And so when someone asks about the letter J, that is a fact-based question. That's not the time to say, I know what he did for me. No, you need to engage their question. You need to know about Gian Giorgio Tresino, the, the the father of the letter J and the J sound. That's a, that's a legitimate question that we can engage and we can help people uh learn. Uh and so I'm um, I'm engaging. Before in that. you
0: go on, uh, Jer- Jer- uh Jerome, I think. We haven't talked about that on the podcast. I would love for you just to break down that whole controversy, if you don't mind, um, for our audience.
1: The letter J thing? hmm Yeah. So, so Andy, I talk about uh, Gian Giorgio Tresino, kind of the father of the letter J. And so what what you'll find is when you begin to study the history of that, uh, while we the J was invented later, you still had the J sound. And you would see J, words that we spell with the J, you would see them spelled with an I. And so it's called the table alphabetical. And so I have that in the book. Um, there are over two hundred reference citations in the book. So you'll be able to go behind me and see, you know, where I'm referencing to get this from. So essentially, we we may not have had the the J letter, uh, but we still had the sound. And so letters also had different sounds, like cat and circle, spelled starts with the letter C, but they have different sounds. And then also, just because you don't have a particular letter. It doesn't remove the veracity or the existence of a person or a place. Like we wouldn't say Jerusalem never existed, right? And so it's important that when people come with those objections, that we're able to give answers. I also talk about just the archaeology, the archaeological evidence we have for the historicity of the Christian faith. And then how many extra biblical uh people, how many um b- bible references they they uh refer to scripture with the numbers there. And so again, I, I wanted to really equip the body of Christ, again, because this is an evangelistic work, because people are leaving the faith or not even interested in hearing about it, because they have legitimate concerns about whitewashing. We need to address those concerns and then present the gospel, but we need to deconstruct some of the things that are barriers, and these are unnecessary barriers because we keep presenting that Christianity in a monolithic way, and so I hope that answers your question, um uh, Lisa, but yeah, I engage stuff like that in the book to help people be able to Refute some of those false claims.
0: That's helpful for for those who don't understand. Can you explain to them what the why people bring up the J argument?
1: To, yeah, they'll they'll to, say the the letter J was invented around the fifteenth century, sixteenth uh, century. So how could his name be Jesus, right? Now we know. Uh, now if you go to the Old Testament, that's something known that as the Tetragrammaton, YHWH, and we we refer I, I frequently refer to them in the book as Yeshua, right? And so what people would do, they, they're they basically looking for reasons to dismiss Christianity. And so I wanted to kind of hit that head on and say, well, well, hold up, before you make an eternal decision based on a letter, let's begin to understand a little bit about etymology, sounds, phonics, and the father of this letter, and then how how things were said and spelled back then and so you'll you'll you frequently hear uh, that objection about the the letter j
0: thank you i think that's that's helpful for for our audience to know um how can they get the book the whitewashing of Christianity?
1: yes 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 so uh by by god's grace wherever books are sold online uh so you can get it from amazon barnes and Noble. you can even get this from target and walmart so wherever books are sold hard copy paperback uh, we are, uh, in a couple of weeks, we'll have the Kindle as well as the uh, audio, audio version of the book. Uh, but this is ready now. This this book is ready now. And I'm really excited about it and excited to see what the Lord's going to do with it.
0: Awesome. We want everybody to go get this book. A- yeah. yeah uh, all sales matter.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we want hey, to hey, get, let, get let, it. Let me say this, Lisa. Yeah. Proceeds of this book goes to feed hungry children. Mine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we want to get it yeah. get it on the chart, so make sure y'all buy it the first. Yes, person, yes, um, please.
1: please. To get
0: it up there. Uh Thank you so much for joining us. How can people find you on social media?
1: Oh yes, yeah. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Jerome Gay at J E R O M E G A Y. Also, go to my website, uh, JeromeGayJr.com, J-E-R-O-N-E-G-A-Y-J-R.com. And you can subscribe to my YouTube channel, youtube.com backslash The Urban Perspective. So I would love to connect with you. Please follow me on those channels. And I I continue to hopefully uh, provide content that equips the body of Christ.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Jerome. It's been a pleasure having you and I hope uh, many people will go, go get your book. Thank you all for (laughs) watching another episode of the G3 project podcast. You can get all our past episodes at g3project.org or wherever you stream your favorite podcast or YouTube or Facebook. You can get our curriculum through Eyes of Color. Um, You can take an online course or you can donate to the Jew3Project all at Jew3Project.org. We have merch there available. Remember here at the Jew3Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it. Until next time, grace and peace and God bless. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jew3 Project Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tune into all our past episodes at www.ju3project.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher,